Back at the, uh, the beginning of the year, we started a, a brand new series on, on knowing God and uh, talking about our desire to know God, who He is, and, uh, and uh, being applicable in our life. And back at the beginning of the year, we had the first series, or the first message on knowing God, the quest. And since that time, we've talked about a lot of details, if you would, of, of regarding God. For some of you... Knowing God might be a new experience, maybe a whole new concept. And so we shared back then about the concept of the, the beach and the ocean and how for some of us we've studied the ocean, but we're still living in Omaha. Never been to the ocean. Never been to the beach. And so all we really know about is about God, if you would, about the ocean, is what we've read about in books, seen from other people's experiences, but have never come to meeting God ourselves. For some of you, you've gone to the ocean, but you've become content in building sandcastles. I didn't have time this week, but I wanted to have a a part of, I've got a nice picture of me from years ago up on the Atlantic Ocean with just a really neat sandcastle. We we went and I I went to the library and I got tapes on building sandcastles, you know, and so I I spent most of the the one day just building this very elaborate sandcastle with spiral stairways and, and stuff like that, and later on we went out into the and jumped waves, and while I was out there, we were, we were, it was October, wasn't it October, November? I mean, so it was really off-season, and so the only one who was really there were people who were there for conventions and stuff, and they were walking the, the, the beach during their break, and so while I was out there jumping waves, they were, there were people coming by stopping and, and gawking at, at, the, at the castle. Anyways, it's pretty cool. But we have a picture of me there with my, my castle. And so, but many of us, that's, that's what it's like. You know, we, we, we come toward God, and instead of just... Jumping in the waves, we're content at being close by, being in his proximity, but not really fully engaged. For some of you, this may be a refresher. Maybe you were in the ocean for a while, but you kind of got complacent with God. Get used to the waves. It got boring. God gets boring, but sometimes, you know what? We do become complacent with God. And... uh, we just get used to it and, and kind of step back out and enjoy the beach again. And so this is our 10-week mark coming through the series. And um, the Lord led me back to that first message this week, um, or actually a week and a half ago, and I listened to it. And boy, I was really convicted by my own message. And the Lord really convicted me about the 10-week checkup and, and the things that we spoke about then, and that is, did we really listen? Have we applied? Or has this been just a, another doctrinal, theological, interesting, instructional series? It's not the intent of it. Of all the series that I've been able to present, this really is the one that is deepest to my heart. And the one that I would love to see people grab a hold of. We took a whole year to go through the book of Revelation, and that's important for us to know end-time events. But honestly, I really don't care, ultimately, if you're deep down in your heart a pre-tribulationalist in the the stripe that I am, or whether you are a a post-millennialist. I desire for you to know truth, but I really don't care, because you know what? What you believe about when Christ is coming isn't going to change God's view of when he's going to come. Does that make sense? He's going to come anyway. 
but whether you know God or not, and whether you're growing in His grace or not, is eternal. And that's my calling. Is to appeal to the hearts of those He's placed in front of me to draw them into that love relationship with Him. And I would hate to get there one day and to be in that audience in the sky, if you would, while someone that was under my influence, teaching, ministry, relational um, proximity, would come up and never have been challenged or know who God is. So, in our 10-week checkup, my question is, going back and doing a, a quick review on these things, how are you doing? How are you doing in your desire to know God? If you were here back then for that message, and you were convicted that maybe you were living in Omaha and never have been to the beach, never gone to the ocean, did you take the challenge to accept Christ as your personal Savior? Did you come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I want to know you? And are you his child? If you know Christ as your Savior, but you've never taken that next step to become a true disciple, fully engaged, have you taken that challenge to desire to know God and say, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection, in the fellowship of your sufferings, being made conformable unto death? And for those of you who have been saved for a while, you may have grown in this grace and knowledge, but maybe you have just become content and complacent. Are you willing to be fired back up for Jesus Christ? It's been amazing to me, with Obamacare being passed, and this is not a political message, but to see how many people are fired up about the political process in the United States. People who want to be involved, people who want to have their voice be heard for something that's temporal, for something that in a thousand years from now won't matter a hill of beans to me, and probably to this world. But we're not fired up for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the true medicine that the world needs, which truly is eternal health care. And we're not willing to raise up our voice so people can hear it. But rather, we're more worried about whether I've got to spend $1,200 for my insurance or whether I've got to spend $300 for my insurance or whether I have to have insurance at all or whether I can choose the doctor that I can go to or whether I'm forced to go to a certain doctor. And we're not more concerned about whether I can spend my time in the Word of God and whether I can share it with others. So again, I challenge you as we go into this checkup today, into this time of revisiting the quest, to ask yourself, am I playing the game? Or is this real? Am I real with God? Because you know what? It doesn't matter whether you tell me that you know God. The ultimate question is, does he know you? There are going to be some who come to him on that, on that day and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do all these wonderful works in your name? And Jesus says, I will say unto them, depart from me, you son of lawlessness, 
I never knew you. You can say what you want, but the proof is in the pudding of your life. God is not to be deceived or to be mocked. If you sow unto your flesh, you will of your flesh reap corruption. But if you sow unto your spirit, you will of your spirit reap, reap life everlasting. So, to go back then to that original message, we asked four questions. First, what does it mean to know God? Secondly, why should I desire to know God? Third, how can I know God? And then finally, what are going to be the results of me knowing God? Now, clearly, I'm not going to preach that exact same message totally over again. I want to abbreviate some of these points and bring out some other points of areas that I wanted to, to at that time, tell you that I wanted to bring out later on. And this is that later on time. But first of all, what does it mean to know God? Well, first of all, we talked about the fact that there were two Greek words that were predominantly used for the word to know. There is the word oida, okay, um, which is also a dete, but oida, and then gnosko. Oida is to know something intellectually or to know it factually. Gnosko is to know something relationally or to know something intimately. Okay? And so I use the illustration of the person working on the roof um, and that they factually, intellectually understood what gravity was. We study gravity. We study Isaac Newton, you know, the, the apple falling from the tree, and so whatever goes up must come down. But when you take a step too far to the side on the roof, you go from factual intellectual knowledge to relational experiential knowledge. And all of a sudden you know firsthand what gravity is. Talk to the, uh, the person who's been a skydiver and had the, the privilege, if you want to call it that, of having their primary chute not open. For a brief moment till the reserve opens up, there is a what? There is a real understanding of gravity. As they begin to plummet, and all of a sudden, if they weren't a believer, they become a believer. <laughs> and, they're, and they're praying that the reserve opens up. It's the same thing with God. For 23 years, I oided God. I went to church every Sunday of my life, I think. I probably missed one or two because I was sick. But as I've, I've joked in the past, when it snowed, we'd walk. You know, my mom and dad were here two weeks ago, and I think I mentioned it then, but we, we would walk um, to church in the snow, both ways, up hills, you know, and uh, I lived in Pittsburgh, and so it really was, you know, we went up, then we went down, we went up, we went down, so on the way back, we went up, and then went down, and up, and then down, right, so it was just a fact, so nothing would stop us from going there, I was active in the youth group, I, I was active in, the, in the, the youth services, I helped my dad with the treasury work, I even ushered you know, the best part of ushering in the, in the Lutheran church growing up is that they had that narthex in the back where we closed the doors so that the service wasn't disturbed. But when you were ushering, you could do whatever you wanted to back there. You didn't have to be disturbed by the, by the message. And, um, and, um, and so the guys at school thought I was a great guy. And the people at church thought I was a good kid. The problem is that the, the two of their opinions, though they both thought I was good, their, their definition of what was good was totally antithetical to each other. And so I didn't know God. I knew a lot about him. If you asked me about him, I could tell you that. I could quote the, the books of the Bible. 
I could tell you that Jesus Christ was God. I could tell you that Jesus Christ had died on the cross. I could tell you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day. I was confirmed. I was baptized. But I didn't know Jesus. And one day when I was 23 years old, somebody challenged me about whether I was going to heaven. I said, if anybody's going to heaven, it's got to be me. And that individual said to me, well, have you, have you ever read through the Bible, the entire Bible? And I said, well, no, I, I can't tell you that I probably ever did that. So they challenged me just to read the Word of God. And it was reading God's Word that I came aware of the fact that if I died, I was going to hell. Because I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God. I oided, if you would, but I didn't gnoscoat. Secondly, we looked at, oh, I'm sorry, I wanted to look at the, the passage here, Mark 13, which brings out the difference for us in this. Jesus talking about the fig trees in the end times. He said, now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know, you intimately, relationally know that summer is near. Why? Because you've experienced it. So you know that when this happens, it's gonna, this is what's going to occur. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that you should relationally and experientially know that the end times are near, at the door. But then he goes on and says, but of that day and hour knows no one. In other words, we don't intellectually, factually know when Jesus Christ is going to come. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not intellectually, factually know when the time is. So what's the point? The difference, these two words are being used in the same context, okay? He says, you don't know intellectually the day or the hour. However, when the events begin to occur that I'm telling you about, you will begin to what? Experience them. And so experientially, you will begin to what? Know that the times are at hand. Though you still may not intellectually know the actual day and the hour, you will experientially know that the days are here. So many of us understand experientially that it appears that those forerunners that Christ talked about in Matthew 24 and 25, in a, well, in Mark chapter 13, are at the doors. They're here. And so we can see indicators from the Word of God that things are happening as, as God declared would happen. But still, I don't know the day or the hour that he's coming, do you? And if you do, you wouldn't. <laughs> so we, we can take a poll and we can all take days for the next thousand years and maybe someone might hit it just by, by sheer stroke of luck, but no one of us knows. Does that make sense? All right. Now, the second set of words was the words theology versus the word theognosis. Okay? The word theology is the primary word which we use to study the study of God or the study of doctrine, the study of biblical things. And that's why I don't like that word so much when we, come, when we talk about looking to God because we have taken that word, the theology, which comes from theos, God, and logos, meaning word or study, the study of God, and we've just broadened it to beyond God and to the, to the things of God, if you would. And I like the second word, theognosis, which is one I coined. I hope you're starting to use it in print and in different times when you're talking so that one day Merriam-Webster will put it in the dictionary and, and maybe they'll give us the, the little byline first used at Framley Bible Church in you know, 2010. And um, anyways, the word theognosis, and it comes from, again, the Greek word theos, and then gnosko, gnosis, which means intimate knowledge, relational knowledge. And so that's really more what my heart is, to, to know God, not just to know about him, not just to study him, not that he's just a, a sterile subject, 
which is kind of what we do a lot of times with God. We put them in a little box and we kind of prod him and we kind of take pieces, you know, DNA samples off them and put them under a microscope and, and kind of look at those pieces of them and, and say, wow, this is, I got God in a box and I can really understand God. That's not what it is. It's really more that relationship. And that's where we want to go is that talking about um, what does it mean to know him. Beforehand, we had the warning, if you remember, about as it comes to knowing God. And that is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we read this warning about knowledge, what? Puffs up, but love edifies. And you can read the passage here from uh, verses 1 to 4 about you know, how we know, intellectually know, about idols and stuff like that. However, but it talks about that relational knowledge, there's the warning to us that those of us who know God, sometimes we can become puffed up in ourselves and think that we're, we're better than others. There was a, um, a religious movement back during the early days of the church called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. And what the Gnostics, and it comes from our word, um, uh, Gnosko, that's right, they, they proclaimed that they had special knowledge, this, this special um, knowledge. And so I want to be careful that we don't become like these Gnostics where we make this special society where, you know, that we have something in this, this, this mysterious, you know, thing. It's not mysterious. God has proclaimed that everyone can what? Know him. Okay? But I, because there were um, cultic uh, groups in the past that took this to an, an erroneous uh, path, I don't want to steer clear of that. Does that make sense? And so the fact is that God does call us to, to know him. 1 John 2, 4-5 says, He who says, I know him, okay, Gnosko, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Well, how do you ultimately know that you're in Christ? That, that you know him? You want to please him. You, do, you want to follow the master. You want to do the things that he desires for you to do. So that's what does it mean to know him. Okay, well, what it means to know him is to know him relationally, to know him experientially, to spend time with him. And so we want to go into that um, in a little bit later. This is, but second question is, why should I desire to know God? First of all, because God desires to know you. He desires a relationship with you. We spent a long time on that, back on that first message. You can go back and, and look at that. And we looked at it from the fact in the Old Testament that God desired to have this relationship that's with us. But suffice it to say, for here, then Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Yahweh speaking through, um, through the prophet Jeremiah says, Thus saith Yahweh, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. It has nothing to do with who you are in a church. It has nothing to do with how many notches are on your belt, with how many souls you've been able to lead to the Lord, quote-unquote. What God says is if you want to glory in something, glory in the fact that you know him. Know him. And so, again, my appeal to you is, do you honestly know him? Secondly, because of our need for him. Because of our need for him. Knowing God is the source of eternal life. John 17, verse 3 says what? This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What is life eternal? 
Well, Jesus gives us the definition of it. Everlasting life, life eternal is knowing God. And when you come into the relationship with Jesus Christ, when you come into the relationship with the eternal God, when you are adopted into his sonship, if you would, into his family, then you pass from death to life. You pass from, if you would, an outsider, merely looking in, knowing about God, to a relationship whereby you can grow in your knowledge and understanding of who he is. And that's what God desires for you. Secondly, knowing God is a source of growing in Christ. And so we know from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that we, we are challenged to grow in the grace and knowledge, the gnosis, gnosis of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And so, God's desire for me is not just to come to him in salvation, not just to, to know him, if you would, experientially as my Abba, not just that I get adopted and I enter into that relationship, but that once in that relationship, that I desire to continue to grow, that I desire to continue to know him better and better. And so, in, um, Peter says in his uh, first epistle in chapter 2, he, he likens us as to newborn babes. He says, um, if, that as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, if so be that you have tasted of the grace of God, the graciousness of God. And so we bring that back, twist that if-then statement around. He says, if you've tasted of God's grace, then you will do one thing. You will desire to what? You will desire to grow. You will desire to grow by how? By nursing, if you would, in God's word, by, by partaking of the pure milk of God's word, that you may grow thereby. You will have the continual desire to grow in God's grace and knowledge. But thirdly, and one I want to talk about a little bit more today, is how can I know God? As we've come through some of these um, sterile topics, if you would, we've talked about the evidence that there is the existence of God, and then we've talked about the exclusiveness of God, that he is God and he is God alone. We've talked about the nature of God, that God is one, but yet God is what? Three. And so we talked about the triunity of God. We've talked about the, the, um, the natural attributes of God, that God is sovereign over the affairs of, of men and over all things, but that he has given man dominion on the earth as well, but he still reigns sovereignly even over the dominion that he's given man. We've talked about the fact that God is, is limitless, that God is omniscient, that God is omnipotent, that God is omnipresent, that God is eternal, that God is infinite. But in all those things that we've looked at and we've tried to talk about applicably to our lives, there are really still things that are just poking and prodding things, looking at the, the, the subject and just kind of understanding things. They're surface things. I'm looking at Lawrence right now, and so I can, I can look at Lawrence on a, just a very um, superficial way, a very um, outside kind of way, and I can look at him with his tie and his shirt and his haircut. And Well, I mean, especially in Augusta, I can look at the haircut and, and, and assess what? He must be military, okay? And, and so, you know, I look at that, and hurrah, that's right. And, and I look this way, he stands erect, and I, mu I think he must be an Army guy. Anyway, so I, I'm picking on you Air Force and Navy guys. Anyways. So, 
Um, but seriously, though, there are certain things. I mean, I just he heard that from somebody this week, actually, um, that if you were here at the, the dinner on Monday night, there were, you see there was an Air Force chaplain, and he had come up to me at one point and asked if I had been in the military. I mean, it's just once you've been in the military, there's, there's certain postures, certain things that are, are dead giveaways, certain ways you talk at times that people say, I wonder if that person was in the military. Usually in the military, you, you're taught to do what? Stand stand erect, not kind of hunched over or whatever. And I know there's times I'll, I'll lean and stuff like that. But there's certain demeanor. And so a lot of times when I'll stand to the side, especially like at funerals or whatever, I'll stand at parade rest or at ease, you know, and I'll just kind of stand to the corner. And, you know, it's just one of those things that are ingrained in you. And so, you know, you're standing to the side and just kind of standing like this. And somebody who's been in the military looks at you and says, what? He's been in the military. And uh, so we can look from the outside and we can, we can see these things about him. But that doesn't mean that I what? I know Lawrence, that I really know anything about him. I can just look at him from the outside and kind of glean these things. Well, how can I then not just oida Lawrence, how can, I, how, can I, how can I gnosko Lawrence? Well, we talked about two things. First of all, you must earnestly desire the relationship. And secondly, you must diligently seek the relationship. And we talked about the, the picture of, of, of marriage in, with Marsh and I. There was a day when I saw Marsha and I said, what? Boy, I really want to get to know her. You know? I mean, I could tell a lot about her from just the externals, things that drew my attention as an unsaved individual to her, okay? And probably even as a saved individual, you know, we struggle in that area at times, guys, and so there would have been things that would have made me think that. But the reality is the first thing that, it, that attracted my attention were the what? The externals, of course. And so, so I, I began to know externally, but... I decided, I made a decision that I what? I desired to have a relationship with her. Now, I could desire the relationship with her, but if I never what? Never, never went up to her, if I never engaged her, if I never talked to her, if I never got up to listen to her speak or whatever, I would never what? I would never know anything more about her. I would always be looking from the distance, kind of like at a painting, you know, just kind of seeing the fluid motion. I might see her laugh a little bit here and there, and I might be able to figure out some things that make her happy and stuff like that, but I've never really have started a what? A relationship. I still just have factual knowledge that anybody else can have by just what? Looking at her. But then once I desired that relationship, I had to begin to diligently seek it. I had to be committed to the process. I had to, to be involved consistently over again to spending time with her. And so this morning we read Psalm 63. And if, you, if you're still there, if you left a little marker there, I want to read the first six verses again of David. David talking about his, his desire for, for God. And remember, David um, wasn't always a king. David grew up as a what? As a shepherd. The youngest of how many brothers? Seven. Seven brothers. It might have been eight. You might be right on that. But seven or eight brothers. But he was the youngest of them. And while all of his brothers were invited to the, um, to the big dinner, the big sacrifice, if you would, when, when Samuel came to town, to Bethlehem, David was what? He was left out. He was 
out taking care of the stinking sheep while his brothers were back. And, and Samuel looked at the first and said, wow, clearly this must be the one that God wants to anoint. And God said, nah, you're judging him based upon his outward appearance. But I don't look at things the way God, man looks at things. I, I look at the, the inward man. I look at the heart. And so they go through each of the brothers, and each one of the brothers are rejected. Rejected, not chosen. Okay? Now, I don't want to, that's not a, a matter of election and stuff like that, but just the fact that God wasn't deeming them to be the king, right? And then Samuel says, wow, what's going on here? I mean, you know, we've gone through all the sons, and, and clearly God hasn't chosen any of them. Do you have another son, Jesse? And Jesse says what? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's the little guy out there with the sheep. And Samuel says what? Well, we're not going to do anything until he's brought in. Did you ever think about that? I mean, I don't want to take a, a, big, a big aside here, but did you ever think about how long they had to wait for David to come back in? I mean, dinner's ready. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could have been days, yeah. I don't think it was days, but it was hours, probably. I mean, I'm, I don't think he was right in the backyard, you know. He was out in the field. They had to go get him. They had to go find him. They had to bring him in. Somebody else had to stay out there. One of, one of the brothers. Anyways, somebody had to stay out there with the sheep. So David was this, this shepherd. He spent his life, his early formative years, taking care of sheep in the wilderness, taking them from place to place to, to find water and, and grass. And those places I've been there weren't always the most readily found. And so David says, Oh God, you are my God. Early, or the word can mean then earnestly as well. In other words, that I'm going to do this the first thing. Okay, it's my priority is what the Hebrew word means. Early while I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you, as in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. It's the guy who's, who's crawling in the desert. His lips are dry, cracking, parched, He's dying. And he's yearning for just a drip of water. Just a drink. Something to help him to be refreshed and keep going. And David says, God, if I was in that position, I want you more. I want you more. I want you more than I would want that glass of water. What about you? How easy is it for you to have something get in the way of your time with God? Would you rather have a nice pancake dinner, or breakfast, sorry, or to be in God's Word? Would you rather feast on, on a Western omelet or on God's word? Would you rather drink down a nice cup of hot coffee or to have the refreshment of God's word running through you? You prove it every day. But what you turn to first? Would you rather read the words of the editor of the paper? your quote-unquote friends on Facebook? 
the happenings of the world on Twitter? Or would you rather read God's word? Whose presence do you yearn to be in? Whose presence is it that comes back to you while you're in your night watches? You know, when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you can't back to, get back to sleep? What do you meditate on? David says, so I have looked for you, verse 2, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory because your loving kindness, your chesed, is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the night watches. You know what it is that you yearn for by what your mind goes to in the dull moments. got a few extra minutes I think I'll turn on the on March Madness I'll become mad <laughs> this morning actually I'm excited West Virginia beat Kentucky so there was a, was a signature moment last night for the Big East but you know what it's still what meaningless isn't it you have a few minutes what are you going to do with it now, is it wrong for us to, to be entertained at times? No. No. But a lot of us like to use that as more of an excuse. And what I'm appealing to right now is, how many things do you use as excuses? Where is God really on the priority list for you? For David, he was number one. At least in the psalm, he's declaring that. There were times when David allowed God to what? Slip down a couple notches. What took the top spot when David allowed him to slip? David took the top. That's right. Lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. When he looked out and saw um, Bathsheba. But you know the sin, I mean that wasn't really the beginning of it, was it? Why was he? He stayed home. He stayed home. He became big on himself. And that leads to another thing. So, how much do you really desire God? How much do you really desire? And we, we talked about this, but this is the checkup. So we've gone through this 10 weeks now. Has it meant anything to you? Has it, have you changed anything that you've done? Have you gotten up earlier? Said, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsts for thee. Or do you really still desire the things of the world more than you desire the things of God? Proverbs chapter 2. Let's turn there. Again, verses 1 through 6. Isn't this kind of neat how the verses are the same here? And you could continue reading as you could have in Psalm 63, even after verse 6, but the verse 6 verses suffice for now. He said, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, 
Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. Why? For Yahweh, the Lord, gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. God promises that if we seek him for wisdom, if we desire to know him, then he will make himself known. But you've got to earnestly desire it. I asked back in that, that original message the question of you that if you had found the map, and it was a very reputable map, it was, a, it was in the county seat, it had been s- stored there, and um, for some reason it was uncovered after 150 years, and found out that in your backyard, yes, in your very backyard, there was, a, it was an eccentric old man who had buried a million dollars didn't believe in the banking systems and stuff like that. And so he, he buried it there, hid it in your backyard. And though they didn't have the GPS and have everything down to the exact spot, they knew that it was going to be in the back quadrant, the back quarter of your backyard. And you got that word, that there was somewhere between a um, million and five million dollars in your backyard under the ground, about six feet. Probably not even that because he wouldn't have dug it that deep. How many of you would be out to Ace Hardware or Lowe's or Home Depot buying shovels and pickaxes and everything else? How many of you might be down a reliable rental getting a front loader and tearing up the backyard? Money would be no yeah, obstacle because, again, what's 300 bucks on a piece of equipment if you stand to gain millions? Solomon to his son says, treat the knowledge of God that way. Desire wisdom like you desire those, those things. Like you would desire gold and silver. Like you would desire that million dollars. Because God is worth far more than anything which you can compare him to. And yet we don't. Think of the value that we place on God by the things that we allow to stand in his way. For you men, it may be the thought processes that you allow to be engaged in your brain that you seek not to eradicate, that you know are wrong, but you choose to indulge. For you ladies, it may be the same problem in the mind, but maybe it's not lust of the flesh, maybe it's the lust of the eyes. You know, the... the the, the window lusting, the, the I want us. Guys, we struggle with that too. Maybe it's a choice piece of gossip that you know it would be wrong to share, but you just can't help yourself. Whenever we make the decision to disobey God, we place a value upon him and say, this is what you're really worth to me, God. This is how much I really yearn for you. This is, what, this is how much I really desire to please you. And I'm not preaching at you guys. I'm sitting there with you. One day the Lord's going to 
encouraged me to listen to this message, and I'm going to say, ah, stop, stop, because this is to me more than it's even to you. It's easy for us to put our superficial ministries and things above all else and use them as cloaks of deceptiveness. But again, God is the one who's going to judge you in your heart. And so to the church of Ephesus, he said, I know your works. I know how diligent you are. I know that you have tested those who have said that they're apostles and they're not. But nevertheless, I have one thing against you. Just one. Just one little thing. You've done all these other things. You're great. You're awesome. Man, you guys are fervent. Just one little thing. You lost your first love. And if you don't repent, if you don't change the way you think, I'm going to come and remove your candlestick. The glory is going to depart. They're going to write Ichapod over you. What are you desiring? What are you seeking? What are you yearning for? What are you crying after? Is it God? Finally, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that, well, let's just go there. In fact, instead of me just quoting, let's go there. Let our fingers do the walking through the pages of God. Hebrews 11, verse 6. This is in the context of the faith chapter, if you would. And in verse 1, we're told the definition of faith, where we're told that faith is the substance of things unseen. It's the, it's the evidence of things hoped, or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And we're told in verse 3 that by, by faith, or that we believe that the world's refrained by the words of God. And in verse 6, we're told a very important and key thing. It says, but without faith, it is what? And impossible to please God, for those who come to him must what? Believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you earnestly, fervently desire God, he has promised by his own faithfulness to bless your socks off. Now, that doesn't mean you're being a millionaire. That doesn't mean that you're going to have a, a, a five-story mansion. It doesn't mean that you're going to have limousines with chauffeurs and, and swimming pools and, and everything else, and, you know, and that you're going to be the CEO of 10,000 companies. Because if that's what you're looking for is blessings, it just shows who your God is and what your focus is. It's on materialism, the things of the world, not on the things of God. But God says he is a rewarder of those who diligently yearn for him, seek him, search for him. And, and I understand that God is sovereign. But I also understand, as we talked about, that God gave man dominion. In that dominion, he gave me a will, he gave me a volition. He gave me the ability to make decisions. And God says one of those is that he wants me to seek after him. And so he says through the prophet Isaiah, seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The fact is, does God want you to find him? Does God want you to grow in the relationship? Yes! What's the main obstacle? Me. My desire. 
and my diligence in seeking after it. It clearly isn't God. And so, how do I do this? How do I, this is the, the new parts here, how do I do this? Well, first of all, you must spend time in communication with God. We call that what? Prayer. Prayer. Ladies, do you want your husbands to sit down and talk to you? Of course you do. Guys, do you know we're part of the bride of Christ? We're not the male side, we're the female side. And just as your bride desires to talk to you, as the bride of Christ, we should have the desire to do what? Talk to him. But so many times we'd rather let the commentators talk to us on the sports programs, or on the news programs, the talk radio programs. Turn off talk radio and put on God's word. Let God speak to you. Take time to, to talk to God. Do you have time through the day? Dead time? It's a great time for fellowship. I know it's a struggle. It's a, it's a str- when Marcia calls me on the phone, I mean, it's a struggle. I hate talking on the phone. I, I just, I just like, I'm, I'm doing something else all the time, right? All the time. She's all the time. He's always doing something else. And she's like me to just, but I did yesterday morning. I, I stopped and I didn't do anything else and I spent time with the family. I, I, it was a real struggle for me because I felt like there was tem- so many things I needed to be doing and I needed to go out and do things, but I said, no, no, I've got to stop and just spend time with my, my wife, you know? And I, I gotta, I gotta do this. You know what? I just gotta stop and spend time with my Lord. If you've never read the book "My Heart, My Heart, Christ's Home," you need to read it. It's by Robert uh, Boyd Munger. Robert Boyd Munger. Anyways, just a real teeny, teeny book. It's not a big, thick, thousand-page book. It's just a teeny, teeny book but it's one that will step all over your toes on every page. It is a great book. Devin, you're shaking your head, right? A couple years ago, I gave it to all the men on Father's Day. Okay, I still have a couple copies. If you don't have it and you'd like a copy, ask me and, uh, for it, and I'll, I'll see if I can find them, and, and I'll give you a copy of it. Okay, It's a great book, My Heart, Christ's Home. And in that, he talks about how Christ is, you know, we invite him in, and he's sitting in the den waiting to meet us every morning. And when we first get saved, we want to spend that time with him. We want to go in and have a cup of coffee with God and, and you know, with Christ and spend time with him. But all of a sudden, we have other interests and we try to sneak past the room. Like maybe he'll never see us. He won't notice the fact that we've stopped. You must spend time in communication with God. We're told in God's word that we should pray how often? At all times. Always. Praying always. Secondly, I must spend time in the observation of God. We talked about that, how that in building the relationship, I need to talk to the person, but then there's the other side of it that I need to what? Observe the things that they do. Well, where can I observe God? First, Sagan, in his word. First, in his word. But secondly, also in my life. Okay? First thing is the word. I want to go there. And that is in my quiet time, spending time reading God's word. Reading it. And that goes back to the, the, the listening to it on the radio for you guys that drive truck or spend a lot of time in the, in the car. You know, turn off the radio, plug in the the CD, the tape, the MP3 player, whatever it is. There is no excuse. 
It is an audio. I mean, we could do whatever with it. You could have a New King James, King James, NIV. You could do it in the, Amer the American Standard Version, New American Standard. You have no excuse. You get, well, my version's not in it. Yes, it is. It's probably dramatized, undramatized. It probably has music behind it. There are 10,000 different ways the Word of God is being presented. You don't like this guy's voice? Get somebody else's voice. It's there. Again, the reason we don't, because we don't want to. I don't want to. I mean, just be honest. I don't want to. That's why I, mean, I, I tell the guys, you know, when we're, when we're talking about things, don't lie to me. Just tell me I don't want to do it, Dad. Just be straight. It's okay. I mean, it's gonna make, I'm going to hurt. You know, there's a good part of me that's going to hurt. But I'd rather have you be honest with me. Dad, I just don't want to do that. No, at least we understand each other. Good. Okay. Well, that's fine. You're a big boy. Do what you want to do. You know, clearly I'm talking about the older ones now instead of the, the younger ones. They don't have the choice. They don't have the choice to say I don't want to. Uh, okay, now that you told me you don't want to, I really don't care. You're going to do it anyway. So, um, but for the top three, they can do what they want to do. They're, they're, they're adults. They, they make their decisions. I'm not going to force them. I'm going to encourage them to do what's right. I'm going to call them back to the standard. But honestly, if they don't want to do it, that's up to them, right? God's not going to make you spend time in his word. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. If you're going to spend time in God's Word, it's because you choose to spend time in His Word. He is not going to make you that special case that He's just going to give it to you by osmosis. That's why He's given us His Word. Finally, you must spend time in meditation with God. That comes because we've memorized His Word. That comes because we've spent ample time in His presence. And so that means then, like David said, in the middle of the night, that when I wake up in the night watches, that I'm going to meditate upon his, his truth, upon his word. Again, that's when I'm at work during the day. And I have dead time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm mudding drywall or sanding drywall or uh, I'm laying a floor or, or whatever, and it's a no-brainer kind of thing. You know, you know. You know, and I'm not thinking about anything. You know, maybe I'm running my fingers across it just to see if there's a, a bump or whatever, and you've got to sand some more, you know. What is it that comes to your mind? What songs are you singing? Are they, are they, are they secular songs praising the, the material world that we live in? Or are they psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Are you singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord? What is it that, that, your, that your body meditates, your mind meditates on in the... The dead moments. That tells you whether how much you really want to know God. And finally, what will be the result of knowing God? First of all, knowing God's going to create a desire to worship Him. The more I know Him, the more I want to glorify Him. The more I want to glory in Him. Remember, he who glories, let him glory in this. That they know me. Do you want to glory in God? Or again, is the, the March Madness the thing that is really the first thing that's going to come conversation. You know, when guys get together, you can really tell where their focus is by what they're going to talk about, especially at men's Bible studies or men's breakfasts that are Bible studies or, or whatever. And I'm not just picking on us. I'm just talking about churches as a whole. It doesn't matter what church you go to. When you get together with a bunch of guys who are supposed to be believers, right, and they're getting together because they're what? Believers. What is the thing that they talk about? College football, college basketball, pro football. Do they talk about Jesus? 
I mean, theoretically, that's why they got together. Because of what Jesus did for them. Or did they really get together because George cooks a mean breakfast? And, and we just put up with Bob for a little bit. I mean, that happens in their own, their own churches. They have a, a George who cooks for them, and they have a Bob who, who, who gives them a, a, a message. Why do we do it? Let's talk about what God's doing in their lives. That's why we have this, this testimony time. So we can share what God's doing in our life. I have a huge testimony that I'm not willing to share yet. Not today. Probably next week. It's huge. It's huge. But it would be premature to share today. So I'm looking forward to sharing it. I'm excited about it. I mean, I'm just really pumped about it. I got a, just a phone call out of the blue yesterday that, of something I just really started praying about. And God answered a prayer just out of the blue. I just, it's phenomenal. It's, kick, it's a real kick. Anyways. Knowing God will create a desire to reflect him. A desire to reflect him. The more I know him, the more I want to be like him. Kids, do you want to be like your dad? Do you want to be like your mom? Now, it may be that your mom or your dad is not the example that you want to, to reflect. But I can assure you this, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, your eternal Abba is. And that's what his desire for us is. He said that that is his purpose for us. He says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine that they would be conformed to his image, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's desire that giving you salvation is that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. That you would reflect him. But you only do that as you grow in his grace and knowledge. So, back to the top. Do you know God? Do you know him? God knows whether you do or not. It doesn't matter whether I think you do. It doesn't matter whether you think I know God. It only matters whether God knows that I know him. And that he knows me. Do you want to know him? more fully. Be honest. Not with me, but with yourself and God. What are you willing to do to assist in the process? Are you really willing to seek him diligently? To search for him and long for him with all your heart? And then finally, have you committed time to prayer? Bible reading and meditation. And even more so, if you haven't, you make the commitment. I'm not asking you to come up front. We don't do the altar call. I'm not going to say, come down, march and play 10,000 stanzas of just as I am, and I'm going to wait for, the, for, for all the pews, the chairs to be emptied so that everybody's down front making a commitment. That's meaningless. You could come down an hour and not mean a thing, but it looked good for everybody else. What I'm asking you is your heart in the throne room of God, before God. What are you willing to do to grow in his grace and knowledge? To know him. Two weeks from now, we will pick up the series and continuing it after Resurrection Day and begin to look at the moral attributes of God. As we look at those moral attributes, those are going to be the areas of really they're going to reflect my character or my lack of character. If you don't make the commitment now that you want to reflect him, it'll be too late later on. You'll be behind the eight ball. This is your checkup. Where do you stand?
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful even when we are faithless. Lord, you know my heart. You know my mind. You know my spirit. You know my soul. You know it better than I know it myself. You know my uprisings and my lying downs. You know my thoughts from afar. You know my words before I even have them on my lips. You know my obedience. And you know my rebelliousness. My disobedience. My foolishness. My desire to please myself and my flesh more than my desire to please you. But God, you know the hunger in my soul for you. You know the passion that I have to know you. And though I am imperfect, you know my desire to be perfect, not for myself, but for you. Lord, I pray that you will wash me whiter than snow. That you will cleanse me and make me whole. That you will give me an increased zeal and fervor for you. And that you will cause me to be faithful to be in your word daily and in your presence daily. Lord, that if I have to wake up earlier, that I'll be willing to do so. Lord, help us to, to have the boldness to proclaim your name. To not worry about what man thinks, but rather to, to worry about your name being glorified. Lord, I want to know you more. Deep within my soul, I want to know you. And truly, it is my desire to give even my final breath, if necessary, to know you in your death and resurrection. So Lord, help us to know you. Help us to know Jesus, the incarnate presence of God on the earth, and to reflect him to this world who needs him dearly. In Christ's name, amen.